0: One day, an innkeeper in Virginia was given a small locked metal box for safekeeping by a man who had spent the winter at the inn. The man never returned. Many years later, the innkeeper decided to see what was inside, and to his surprise, the box contained clues to a hidden treasure of gold, silver, and jewels. The problem for the innkeeper was the location of the treasure was written in code and he couldn't figure it out. In fact, no one has been able to figure it out for 130 years. Today I have the story of the Beale Papers on the 179th episode of Sunday Morning Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff
1: Coffee on Coffee with
0: Good morning it's sunday it's time for coffee and i am jeff kelly your host and storyteller you know here in chicagoland the rain just doesn't want to stop it seems every day we get more and more walking on my lawn lately seems to be like walking on a wet sponge so what's the weather like by you did you know, and this is according to Mental Floss, that the average American spends more than $1,000 on coffee every year? I was thinking about that. I mean, I drink coffee every morning, but I would think that I pay a lot less than the average. I mean, when I look at all the cars that go through the Starbucks drive through all day long, each person, in my opinion, paying way too much for coffee, I have to think that I pay a lot less... Per year than the average person. And I'm old school. I buy reasonably priced 8 o'clock coffee and brew it at home. And I only drink coffee in the morning. I'm not one of those all day long coffee drinkers, so I gotta figure I pay less than the average, but I've never figured it out. Now, let me ask you when you were a youngster, did you dream of digging up buried treasure? I think most kids do at some point. But you know, many adults never give up that dream. In fact, some get obsessed with finding treasure. Today I have a story of a fortune people have been trying to find for more than a hundred years. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, or run out and buy some overpriced franchise coffee if you must, and get ready to hear a tale of a secret code that leads to fame and fortune.
1: This podcast is part of the SciCon Network. You can support this podcast and others like it by becoming a subscriber at patreon.com forward slash That's C-S-I-C-O-N. A link can be found on the Coffee with Jeff website. Just a dollar or two is all it takes to keep these podcasts going. Thank you for your support. We understand that you're looking for the Beale treasure.
0: Yes, ma'am, I am. And I believe I found it. Really? Yes, I believe it's possibly wow. in a mansion in Philadelphia. You got our attention.
1: How did you find
0: it? Well, the Beale Papers is something that I read and look at the cryptogram and cracked the first cryptogram, the C one code, in about two hours.
1: So the first one, the second one we heard told told you what was in it. Right. But the first one is
0: the location. That's right. And you cracked that one. That's right. In, in two hours. hours in two hours. Beginning in nineteen sixty-four, Colonel J. J. Holland began searching for a treasure of gold, silver, and jewels. The secret of where the treasure was buried was hidden in a code of numbers written back in the early 19th century. Holland, like others before and after, was convinced he had solved the puzzle, as he put it, once and for all. Despite having doctors being against the effort of digging due to a serious heart ailment, Holland searched just the same. Over the last 20 years of his life, as his health declined, he continued to search. He spent untold dollars on gasoline, lodging, and digging equipment, only to say, in the end, that he thought the treasure was a fake. The story of Colonel J.J. J. Holland is not an uncommon one. For over a century, men have been trying to break the code and find the fortune. Some say worth over $18 million in today's money. The legend goes that back in the 1820s, a man named Thomas J. Beale wrote a paper in code explaining where he and his men hid their treasure. Even today, people continue to try to break the code in the hopes of fame and fortune. The story goes something like this. In January of 1820, a man named Thomas Jefferson Beale, a well-educated gentleman from a good family with proper manners, arrived at the Washington Hotel, an inn in Lynchburg, Virginia, with two companions. Beale had the intention of staying at the inn during the duration of the winter, but his two friends only stayed for a couple of days as they were anxious to get home. All three men were polite and well mannered. After a week or so, the two gentlemen left, but Beale stayed. Morris said he was a charming man who got along wonderfully with everybody, particularly the ladies. The innkeeper later described Beale as six feet in height, with jet black eyes and hair of the same color. "'worn longer than was the style at the time. "'His form was symmetrical and gave evidence of unusual strength and activity, "'but his distinguishing feature was a dark and swarthy complexion, "'as if much exposure to the sun and weather had thoroughly tanned and discolored him. "'This, however, did not distract from his appearance, "'and I thought him the handsomest man I had ever seen. Altogether, he was a model of manly beauty, "'favored by the ladies and envied by the men.' During his time at the inn, Beale never talked about his past, where he was from, or his family. He stayed until March. That's when his two friends returned, and the three of them rode off together on their horses. A few years later, in the winter of 1822, Beale returned to the inn, to the delighted Morris and everybody else. Again, he stayed until spring, but this time, when he left, he asked Morris to take care of one of his possessions. It was a small box of iron, carefully locked, containing papers of value and importance. Morris was reluctant to take it, but did so as a favor to Beale, who said he would return for the box sometime in the future. Beale rode off on his horse, leaving Morris with the box. A few months later, a letter arrived from Beale that had been sent from St. Louis. After a quick greeting, Beale wrote... With regard to the box left in your charge, I have a few words to say, and, if you will permit me, give you some instructions concerning it. It contains papers vitally affecting the fortunes of myself and many others engaged in business with me, and in the event of my death, its loss might be irreparable. You will, therefore, see the necessity of guarding it with vigilance and care to prevent so great a catastrophe. It also contains some letters addressed to yourself, and which will be necessary to enlighten you concerning the business in which we are engaged. Should none of us ever return, will you please preserve carefully the box for a period of ten years from the date of this letter? And if I or no one with authority from me during this time demands its restoration, you will open it, which can be done by removing the lock. You will find, in addition to the papers addressed to you, other papers which will be unintelligible without the aid of a key to assist you. Such a key I have left in the hands of a friend in this place, sealed and endorsed not to be delivered until June 1832. By means of this, you will understand fully all you will be required to do. And he signed the letter, Your Sincere Friend T.J.B. That was the last time Beale was heard from. And as the ten years went by, Morris assumed that he, and probably his companions, were killed by Native Americans or befell some sort of other tragedy he never did receive the code that beale spoke of morris however didn't open the box after ten years he waited hoping for beale's return but finally in eighteen forty five twenty three years after he last saw beale morris decided to break the lock and have a look inside he discovered two letters that were addressed to him a few old receipts and some unintelligible papers The letter addressed to Morris explained that Beale had entrusted Morris with the box because Morris was a man of the sternest integrity, unblemished honor, and business capacity. Soon he went into the tale of the hidden treasure. He wrote that some five years earlier, he and several friends, who were fond of adventure with a little danger mixed in, were hunting buffalo, grizzly, bears, and other such game. This became a group of about thirty who were all men of good character and standing. One day in Santa Fe, New Mexico, a group of the men who had been following a herd of buffalo came across something that had the appearance of gold. Upon investigating, they found that it was just that. They had stumbled across a fortune in gold and silver. After some discussion of how to handle this newfound wealth, they decided to take their treasure to Virginia and bury it in a cave near Buford's Tavern in the county of Bedford. It was a place that they all knew and felt that it would be safe. By the time they finished their 500-mile trip, the group was now down to 10 men. But once in Bedford, the cave they planned to use turned out not to be so safe. It seemed that now it was being used by farmers to store sweet potatoes and other vegetables. A new hiding place was needed. Once they found a good one, Beale began looking for someone reliable he could give the information to in the event that Beale and his men fell to misfortune. That man, of course, was Morris. The encrypted letters, Beale explained, contained the location of the buried treasure, its contents, the names of the 30 people entitled to a share of the loot, and the places where they could be found. If, after 10 years, the box was still unclaimed, Morris was to go to the treasure, divided up into 31 equal shares, keeping one share for himself. The rest of the shares to be given to the people listed or their relatives. This was all well and good, but Morris never got the key to decipher the code, and without that, he or the hundreds of people over the last century who have tried would never be able to find the treasure. The three coded messages were a series of either one, two, three, or four digit numbers. It begins like this 71, 194, 38, 1701, 89, 76, 11, and so forth. Morris spent a long time attempting to decode these pages before he gave up. It wasn't until 1862, 40 years after the box was put into his possession, that he brought it to a friend for help. By now, he assumed, the owners had long since died yet, he said that he still found himself feeling a little guilty about doing so. It was his friend who realized something. The code seemed to use the United States Declaration of Independence as its guide. By numbering every word in the Declaration of Independence in order, they matched up to one of the codes in the message. The first ten words of the Declaration of Independence goes like this. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary, so the word when becomes number one, in becomes two, the is three, course is four. And it continues on all the way through the document into the last word, which is honor, and that is number 1322. Now using that, he was able to decipher one document, the first, and it went like this. I have deposited in the county of Bedford, about four miles from Buford's, in an evacuation or vault six feet below the surface of the ground, the following articles belonging jointly to the parties whose names are given in number three herewith. The first deposit consists of 1,014 pounds of gold and 3,812 pounds of silver, deposited November 1819. The second was made December 1821 and consisted of 1,970 pounds of gold and 1,288 pounds of silver. Also jewels obtained in St. Louis in exchange for silver to save transportation, valued at $13,000. The above is securely packed in iron pots with iron covers. The vault is roughly lined with stone, and the vessels rest on solid stone and are covered with the others. Paper number one describes the exact locality of the vault, and so no difficulty will be had in finding it. But the thing is, the Declaration of Independence Key only worked for that one, not for the rest. And so to this day, no one has been able to figure it out. It has been examined by some of the most intelligent codebreakers in the world, and some of the most sophisticated code-breaking computers have been tried. But still, it remains a mystery. Many have thought they had solved it. Treasure hunter Ken Bauman, who was featured on Brad Meltzer's Decoded, claims to have solved the code by numbering all the words in the Declaration of Independence backwards, starting with the last word as number one. Still, when he finished, it didn't look like much. So then Ken had another idea. What if it was backwards, so he reversed the letters, and he came up with a weird message that seemed to refer to an Edgar Allan Poe story. It all sounded very convoluted to me. Anyway, if you do an internet search for the Beale papers, you'll find a lot of people out there who claim that they've solved the code. But as far as I know, no one yet has come up with the treasure. So now, if you want to be one of these would-be treasure hunters and are planning to head out east and look for the Beale treasure, or see if you can decipher the code, there might be one thing to consider first. Is the story of buried treasure real? It just may be a hoax. Now, as crazy as it sounds, first determining the validity of this tale would be the way to start. You see, here's the thing. All the information, everything we know about Beale and Morris, came from an 1885 pamphlet called The Beale Papers. It was written by J.B. Ward and published by Virginia Books. It sold for 50 cents. Now, James B. Ward of Lynchburg, Virginia, said he had spent 20 years trying to figure out the puzzle and finally gave up and decided to tell all. He thought he would let the public see if they could figure it out. That's what Ward claimed, but consider this. Maybe Ward was looking to sell a lot of pamphlets and make some good money in doing so. And what would be the best way to drum up public interest? A cryptic code to a buried treasure. A mystery about a cowboy, gold, silver, jewels. In 1934, Dr. Clarence Williams, a researcher at the Library of Congress said, To me, the pamphlet story has all the earmarks of a fake. There have been many points brought up by experts that lead to this conclusion. Some of them are things like, well, why would Beale bother writing three different ciphertexts for essentially a single message in the first place, particularly if he wanted to ensure that the rest of his kin would receive their shares? Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just write it all with the same code? It makes a lot more sense that a writer who wanted to sell pamphlets would create this as a deliberate ploy to encourage interest in deciphering the other two texts. One has to remember that 50 cents was a pretty high price to pay for a pamphlet in 1845. There were also some words that were used that seemed to not have been in the vocabulary in 1820 like improvise and stampeding. There has also been some doubt that a Thomas J. Beale ever existed In fact, isn't it a little coincidental that Thomas Jefferson Beale used the Declaration of Independence written by Thomas Jefferson as his guide? Of course, some might argue that's exactly why Beale used the Declaration of Independence. Now, apparently there was a Robert Morris who ran the Washington Hotel, but the thing is, Morris didn't start running the hotel till 1823— even though the story in the pamphlet claims that Morris was there in 1820 when Beale spent his first winter there. Some might argue that Ward just got the dates confused or it was a typographical error or something. But in the letter that Morris received from St. Louis that the author of the pamphlet had in his possession, the author said it was dated May 9, 1822, and that's still a year before Morris was actually running the hotel. And there's been some technical analysis done that seems to indicate that all the language used in the pamphlet, even those that were supposed to be from the mouth of Morris and Beale, were written by the same person. This is done by examining uses of punctuation, relative clauses, infinitives, conjunctions, and so on. Joe Nichol, American's prominent skeptic and investigator of the paranormal, wrote a very well-researched analysis of the Beale Papers, published in the Virginia Magazine of History and Biography, explaining all the reasons and details of why he believes it was a hoax. And although I'm not going to read the whole thing here, he does make a very good case for it. But I think there's many believers out there that believe that Joe is just nitpicking. Just because he couldn't find a Thomas Beale that fits the description of the man in the story doesn't mean the man wasn't real. Or just because the dates don't add up doesn't mean it's fake as an error could have been made. But for me, I have a question about this and all the other buried treasure stories out there. It's a simple question. Why would 30 men, after finding a large amount of gold and silver, transport it in two or three trips by wagon from New Mexico to Virginia just to bury it in the ground to get it later, and then go through all the trouble of a coded message? Why wouldn't they just divide it up on the spot, and then each man could go their own way and enjoy their riches? But even the story doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. That doesn't keep people from trying. There was George and Clayton Hart who began searching in the late 1890s. They were obsessed with finding this treasure. The story goes that at one point, Clayton visited the author of the pamphlet, J.B. Ward. J.B. Ward was an elderly man by this point, but he still insisted that the story was 100% accurate. The brothers began a quest to find the treasure, and at one point they ended up going to a medium who looked into his crystal ball and told them that not only could he see the buried treasure, but he would be able to lead them to it. He took him to a spot in the woods late one evening, and suddenly the medium exclaimed, "'That's the treasure! Can't you see it?' The brothers began to dig. For more than six hours they dug in the dark, creating a hole about six feet deep, when one of them hit something that produced a hollow sound. For a moment they began to believe they had found pots of gold and silver, but it turned out to be a large rock. Then they thought the treasure must be under the rock.' And as they used all their strength to remove it, the medium began to say, There it is! You've gone too far! Can't you see it? But of course, no treasure was ever found. Now, Clayton gave up the search for the treasure in 1912, but George continued his search until 1952, more than six decades of searching before he gave up. There was another man, Haram Herbert Jr., who first became obsessed in 1932 with the treasure. And he continued searching up through the 1970s, and of course, he had nothing to show for all his efforts as well. Yet still to this day, there are treasure hunters who keep looking, and looking, and looking, and looking, and looking. These are the Beale ciphers, potentially the most valuable coded messages in the world.
1: The Beale ciphers are a series of encrypted messages which seem to indicate the location of a buried treasure. My own conclusion is that it's some kind of a hoax. Somebody has made up a phony secret message to drive a million amateur codebreakers crazy in the hope of finding this treasure somewhere down near Roanoke, Virginia. Has anybody got a match? Thanks. Now I can light an old goal and listen to The Sad Sack.
0: A little bit before I go. You know, I don't have a problem with people hunting for buried treasure if that's what they want to do. I mean, I think there's better ways to get rich, but if it makes them happy, why not? The problem in this case is that all the land around Bedford, Virginia is, as you might expect, owned by people who get a little annoyed when men and women with picks and shovels start tearing up their land. According to a Mental Floss article, there was a Chicago refrigeration contractor who dug up a graveless patch of a cemetery only to find clothes hangers and horseshoes. There was a Pennsylvania woman, Marilyn Pearson, who cashed her disability check in 1983 and rented a backhoe to test her theory that the treasure was buried in an unmarked plot of a church graveyard. When she unearthed a coffin of human bones, she was arrested and advised never to set foot in Virginia again. In 1972, the Washington Post reported that local landowners regularly fire warning shots at strangers tiptoeing on their property. Ed Easternly, a local beal expert, said people would sneak onto their land and blow big holes out of the ground and leave them that way. Cows would step in them and break their legs. Most people have resented it. Anyway, how about the ending credits? You know, we at PsyCon don't have the money or the time to search for buried treasure, so we need your help. Be one of the good people and support us by visiting PsyCon.fm, that's C-S-I-C-O-N, and look for the Patreon link at the top. And a sincere thank you to all of you who already support the show. And speaking of PsyCon, why not go over to our website and check out a few of our other shows? You'll find so many amazing podcasts at PsyCon.fm. You know, you can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can also follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is Coffee with Jeff, all one word. And I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. Your story ideas are always welcome. If you want to support the show, but you don't have the coin, then go over to iTunes and leave a review or a few stars. Those really help. And remember, links to all the sources that I use to write today's story can be found at Cycon's Coffee with Jeff page. I'd like to thank Brecky Tomlinson for having this podcast on the Cycon Network. To my wife of 35 years for being my wife of 35 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme and to all of you who listen to the show every week thank you so much and of course a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media that means so much to me thank you I'll be back in two weeks with something else that's hopefully exciting and thrilling bye
1: Coffee with Jeff Coffee coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff I once knew a man who Used to drink his coffee black He once tried it with some cream Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff More coffee with Jeff Years go by and life's filled with change Sometimes your plans get rearranged He's seen it all and he's weathered it too So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you Coffee Coffee with Jeff Coffee More coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff